This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Thanks for tuning in. Today we begin to look at 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians, and I'm going to read verses 11 and 12 of chapter 1 to get us started. Paul says, To this end we also pray for you always, that our God will consider you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you, in you and him, in accordance with the grace of our Lord God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Second Thessalonians is written soon after the first letter. Paul will mention Timothy's good report in Second Thessalonians 2.15, and the issues addressed in this epistle will overlap the concerns mentioned in, in the first, meaning at the time of the writing, the situation in Thessalonica hadn't really changed. So if anything, the persecution that we've discussed, it was intensifying and false teaching was gaining a foothold, but still Paul boasted of the Thessalonians faith to other churches. He tells them as much. He speaks of their continued love and their continued service in the face of difficulty in verses four and five. But Paul had received another report, um, perhaps from the returning messenger who delivered First Thessalonians. Um, we don't know. But some of the news was good, uh, and some of it was not good. So the, the good news was, as we've seen, that they were continuing to grow and remain faithful to Christ. Um, but some of the members had begun to believe Jesus had already had already returned. And this was the result of um, false teaching that had somehow inserted itself in this congregation, someone who had, had come in and began spreading these lies. And so this was having an impact on this, this church, and some of the brethren had begun uh, not working, had quit their regular vocations. And Paul addresses this in chapter 3 of Second Thessalonians. And so he, he exhorts them to remember their example and their hard work and the traditions of the apostles that they handed down uh, when they were they were together. So these issues had to be dealt with. And so Paul writes Second Thessalonians. And he begins by again commending them. If you go back to verse 3, he says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, as is only fitting, because your faith is increasing abundantly, and the love of each and every one of you toward one another grows ever greater. So, you know, it's not like they had just thrown their hands up and quit or that these false teachers were coming in and, and were just wrecking the faith of everyone. By and large, their obedience to God was increasing, and that should be the case with every Christian over time. And uh, they were growing in their love and, and devotion to one another at the expense of themselves. And so for these disciplines, uh, faith and love, Paul commends them. And as we've discussed previously, the, those disciplines are inseparable. Um, you know, both faith and love are the product of God's word. Romans ten seventeen teaches us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And John tells us we love because God first loved us. And we encounter that love certainly in our lives each and every day as he, he blesses us, but it's more fully revealed in the word of God and the giving of his son as we read and understand his plan of salvation and uh, what Jesus went through on our behalf as a sacrifice for sins. We 
we understand, we begin to see and understand just how much God loves us. And that, of course, compels us to reciprocate that love. And so the point is, is that faith and love, one of those cannot legitimately be practiced without the other. They stand and fall together. Uh, as Paul says, faith works through love in Galatians 5, 6. And faith, hope, and love, he says to the first Corinthians of these, the greatest is, is love. So God, God's love moves us to draw near to him, uh, to trust him greater, and to render further greater obedience, learning to be pleasing to him in every respect. As one way Paul puts it, uh, so his it, it's his love that we encounter in life, and more perfectly through his word, as I mentioned, as he told us so long ago in Jeremy, uh, Jeremiah, excuse me, thirty one, and verse three, I have loved you with an everlasting love; therefore, I have drawn you with loving devotion. Right, so by this love, his love, he says, he draws us to himself, and. As we encounter that love and the greatest demonstration of his love, the sacrifice of his son, uh, we, we, we feel that compelling, if you want to call it that, even, even more. Jesus said, when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And that, you know, that sacrifice proves just how much he loves us. As Paul says, God proves his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In Romans 5 8. So it compels us to follow him. We find motivating force. Paul said as much in 2 Corinthians 5. He says that it was the love of Christ that compelled him. Um, he says, Because I'm convinced that one died for all, uh, and I should no longer live for myself. So trust, obedience, love, um, they they go hand in hand. And so you know, one can believe in God with every ounce of their being and perform miracles, and give away everything he has, and even sacrifice his body to be burned, Paul says. But if he doesn't have love, it doesn't mean anything. In 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3. And likewise, someone may have the best of intentions, and great zeal, and love for others, and be uh, a good mom or a good dad, and a faithful employee, and respectable in so many ways, by biblical standards even, but if they do not trust and obey Christ, all their love and service and good morals won't save them. And so properly understanding God's love causes us to love Him in return, which leads to us trusting Him, obeying Him, placing all our hope in Him. And the more we learn of Him, the greater our faith and love for Him grows. The more we see His faithfulness, the greater our love and faith grows still. And this was the experience of the Thessalonians. Not only were they growing in their faith and love for God, but also for one another. And that's an unavoidable consequence of drawing near to God. And there's something else that Paul would have us understand. Uh, and that is that faith must be proven. Um, the way that Peter puts it is, is like gold being proven through fire. Uh, so if you read verses 4 and 5 now, he says, We ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you indeed are suffering. All right, so, so they were stalwart in their trust and obedience to God. 
to the extent that the afflictions, he, Paul doesn't get specific. I mean, we're given some glimpses in Acts 17 when he's there of uh, pressure from civil authorities and, you know, they're taking money from one of the, the Christians there and all sorts of threats. But none, none of those things moved them. In fact, it only made them stronger and showed the world around them the authenticity of their faith. Paul saw persecution as part of God's judgment. Have you ever considered it that way? That's the word he uses. This is this is an indication of God's righteous judgment. And it wasn't it wasn't that uh, he was angry or that they were being punished in some way or you know anything like this, but it was so that his people would show themselves to be worthy of living under his rule. To show that they were sincere in this desire, that they were devoted to him, and nothing was going to change that. You know, I I can't help but think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from Daniel 2 and 3. How they also, when threatened with being burned alive, said, you know, our God is able to deliver us from you, King Nebuchadnezzar. But even if he doesn't, we'll never bow down and worship your golden statue the image that you have made. That's the kind of devotion God seeks in each and every one of his people. That shows that we are worthy to live under his rule. Now that kind of language, I think, upsets a lot of folks in the religious world, no one, you know, no one can be worthy. And in a sense, that's true. God makes us worthy through forgiveness in Christ. But at the same time, we find passages like this, where Paul is saying, "This test, um, these persecutions and afflictions, are so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God." So two things can be true at once, and we know that God's plan of salvation includes a human response to Him. He will be true to his word to make us holy and blameless in his sight through the blood of Christ, through forgiveness that comes uh, in in him. But also there's something we must do, and that is strive for holiness. Prove, uh, Prove our love for him. And Paul says, you know, secondly, that this this proves what's happening to the Thessalonians right now. Is going to prove his righteous retribution against all who hated his people. So it's not without reason, right, that Christ will someday return to afflict those who afflict his people and give relief to his own and punish those who refuse to follow him. And in fact, this is the next point that Paul makes in verses 5 through 7. He says, Indeed, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted, as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. So it's very heavy-handed stuff, right? But uh, he doesn't want us to have any illusions about what's going to happen. And it's okay to find comfort in those words, right? That is why... God doesn't want us to take vengeance on our own. We're not to be vengeful people because he is going to handle that. 
All we need to focus on is serving him, treating others the way we want to be treated, and bearing up under persecution, knowing full well that if those folks never change their ways, God knows best how to handle them. Uh, but until that day, he can use even the, the evil that people inflict upon uh, Christians to Christians' benefit, to his own people's benefit. And Peter makes this point uh, as well also. First Peter 1, verses 6 through 7, he says, Now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more precious than gold, which perishes even though it's refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so gospel writers and New Testament writers, they picture this world now as a proving ground. We, we are on the proving ground right now. Someday we'll be free from it, but only when God determines the character of our faith is proven. When the test is done. Until then, we must stay the course and bear up under suffering. As James says, allow perseverance to finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James 1.4 So I don't know when the Lord will return, but I do know that each day brings us closer to His coming. And with so many things beyond our control, there is one thing that we can control, one thing that you can determine, and that is that you will be ready. And this is the end that Paul prayed for, that his brethren would always be ready. We should too. So God will consider us worthy, and that he will fill our desire for goodness, and that we would have the strength to trust and obey until we leave this world or until he returns, whichever comes first. Thanks for tuning in. For more lessons and resources like this, please visit our website at leonvalleychurch.org.